And what a great thing it is that I get to preach on the last 9 a.m. service at Timothy Christian School. Woo! All right. Like, I think that's just an incredible privilege. That's because next week there is uh, only one service, no Saturday church, one service, church on the lawn at 10.30 here on Sunday morning. So uh, bring a blanket, bring your lawn chairs, bring something to do for the kids because there's no child care, um, bring uh, a lunch for after if you feel like it, um, bring a thirst for ice cream. Ice cream's becoming a thing around here. I like ice cream. Every time we finish supper, I say, that's it. There's, oh, we can have ice cream. Yeah, so uh, that's a great thing. And there's going to be baptisms. We've already got some people lined up. If you haven't obeyed the Lord by being baptized, we encourage you to do that. And if you go out to Connections in the lobby and uh, speak to them, they can connect you, because they're Connections, with some of our pastoral staff. And uh, we can talk about how you can be a part of that for next Sunday morning, 10.30, Church on the Lawn. It's going to be great. So speaking of thirst... um, I talked about ice cream last night, and so we went and got some afterward. So uh, just, just feel this need now to get up and leave and go for ice cream. Just hang on for a few minutes, okay? But we're thirsty people. The Bible talks about the fact that we're thirsty people. The Bible talks about how we're made. And uh, we're, uh, we're, the Bible talks about the thoughts of our heart. And our, our thoughts actually come from our inner person, our, the, the spirit of a person. It talks about the choices of our heart. Uh, We make our decisions from our inner man. Um, And it talks about the desires of our heart. And we we wrestle around here to bring every thought into subjection to Christ, don't we? And we we work hard to make decisions and choices that are going to be in line with God's will for us and what's going to be right. But I I think if you're like me, the, the place we struggle the most is with the desires of our hearts. Desire is a powerful thing, and uh, we, uh, we wrestle. This message is about desire. We want to have a look at that. Psalm 63 is where we're going to be this morning. It begins with a metaphor of thirst. That's an appropriate way to describe the things that we long for. I'm thirsty. I need a drink. I need this. Desire is a powerful motivator that often eclipses our thinking. How often do we want something, even though we know, we know that it's probably not going to work out well, but I wanted it. So it eclipses our thinking. It directs our choices. The depth of our desires, their intensity is only equaled by the breadth of our desires. How many things we can want And our desires drive us, don't they? More important, we do need to understand our desires, but what we really need to know is what will satisfy me? What will satisfy me? This message is about satisfaction. Where do I find satisfaction? Let's read Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied. 
as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Father, we are before you now, and we long for your word to come and speak to our inner person. Uh, Speak to us at the core of our being. And so we bring this time to you and pray that, Lord, whatever else we have brought into this place, uh, you will help us to set that aside and give our attention to you and your spirit. And Father, we pray that you will use your word, the truth of it, to transform our lives today, to transform us today. And so we give this time to you, asking this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. I can find satisfaction, first of all, only if I reckon with the depth of my desires. You know, uh, when you're in a war, you kind of have to know the enemy. And uh, to a very large degree, our desires are actually our enemy. And we need to know our desires. And so we want to take a look at desire. David described this as thirst. When we were in Israel, we had a tour guide who had basically walked every inch of, of Israel uh, with the, uh, the uh, armed forces there. And uh, we went on a hike one day, um, and he said, make sure you bring your water, because this is an arid place, and it's a dry place, and it's thirsty. And he said, and don't just gulp your water down. He said, that's not the way you use water. When in the army, he says, you just take a sip at a time. And he says, you were always thirsty but you rationed your water out because you didn't know when you were going to get some more. Armies have, have uh, surrendered because of a lack of water. And so you ration it out, and uh, it's important. You have this water, but you're thirsty. And you want to just drink it down, but you have to ration it out. So David understood thirst, and thirst is a powerful metaphor for our our, uh, our thirsts, our desires. David wrote this psalm likely when he was fleeing from uh, perhaps his son Absalom, when he was forced to leave his capital city because there was a revolt. Uh, perhaps it was when he was fleeing from Saul when he was first, uh, before he was even king. He was out in the wilderness in these dry places. It was civil war either way. Uh, he lacked resources. He, uh, he uh, didn't know who was for him and who was against him. So in this very, very difficult place, he uses thirst as a metaphor for what he really longed for, which is God. That metaphor of thirst can define our desire. So let's think about desire as defined by us, by our wants. And uh, we've tried to to do that, we try and, and, and quantify, we try and communicate um, how thirsty we are, what we long for in a lot of different ways. One way is through literature. I remember when I first came to Ontario from British Columbia and I went to college and uh, they said, well, um, you know, you have to make up some courses. And I go, why? Like I graduated from high school. Um, in British Columbia, we only went to grade 12. 
Uh, when I came to Ontario, you had grade 13 still. And uh, they said, because you didn't take grade 13, you have to make up some courses. I tried to convince them. We're smarter in BC. We only need 12 grades. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't buy that, so I had to take uh, uh, some courses. And one of them was English literature. And I had to read this book. And, and this book was communicating about love and revenge. And, and it communicated. It was so twisted. It was about uh, these emotions that went beyond the grave even. And I found that book so gripping because of how it, it, it uh, described the desires of people's souls. Anyone remember Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte? Do you still have nightmares, right? Like, maybe it's not because you read the book, it's because you had to do the tests on the book, right? But it was, it's, still, it's still a classic because it communicated desire in such a powerful way. Well, another way, uh, another way we try and communicate, you know, words are good, but like poetry. When you turn words into poetry, okay, that's a cut above. Now, Pastor Todd is on record as saying nobody can really understand poetry, but I, I'm not sure it's uh, that hard. Think about this one. This is on a lighter vein than Wuthering Heights. This is by a poet named uh, Rumi. Come to the orchard in spring. There is light and wine and sweethearts in the pomegranate flowers. If you do not come, these do not matter. If you do come, these do not matter. Some of you caught that. Okay, so much for poetry. Wouldn't it be great to be that important to somebody, to be longed for like that? Uh, well, we try and do it through lyrics. We, uh, we try and write things and compose things that, that create a bit of a story just right away. So try this one. Listen carefully. You missed the last one, I think. Maybe you can get this one. Although she's gone... He holds her hand. She don't remember what he still can. From nursery school to nursing home, he keeps his word to be her man. Well, doesn't that call to your heart? Don't you long for a love that's that committed? You know, to really capture the longings of the heart takes music. Music is emotion. And when you put words to music, it shapes that emotion. And, uh, and so to really plumb the depths of human desire in music, well, that takes country. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. My truck is broke. My life is broke. My heart is broke. And they drink it up. We love that. Yeah. Why? It's because... It's because it's so intense, and we, we resonate with that. We resonate with those things. Listen, listen. If you want to know the longings of people's hearts, not just country, listen to their music. And here's a question for you. Why does my heart resonate more with the songs on the radio than they do with God's Word? When we plumb the depths of human experience, we recognize our desires have great depth, and yet they're not enough. And that's something that the depth of our desires should tell us. And David realized that, and he said, although I'm thirsty, 
he turned to God and he said, uh, to really understand the desires of our hearts, we need to step outside of ourselves. As a matter of fact, this is where psychology goes wrong. They look at man, and, and according to man, what they observe in man, they try and determine from that what's good and what's bad. And To really understand me, I need to see the Creator. I need to see myself in light of who God is. And when we take a look at who God is, we recognize that we were designed for more than our desires can ever communicate to us. And so David says, I turn to you, I see you, I have looked on you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. When we look at God, we understand that He's he's holy and He's great. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says God is so great that all the nations are like dust on a scale. Like you go to your windowsill and you notice and you just kind of wipe it like that. The nations are like that to God. He's so great. He's so vast. And He has communicated to us what He is like. We would never know what God is like if He hadn't told us. And he tells us that he's holy and he's a God of wrath and he judges. And a lot of people say, I don't like that God. That God of the Old Testament, you know, that he judges people and whole nations get wiped out. I don't like that God. I got news for you. God's not all that impressed that you don't like him. He refuses to be fit into your stupid, finite little box of what he should be like. He's indescribable. He refuses to be defined by our categories. And even though we don't understand Him, He stands alone. But listen, there's more. David continues. Your steadfast love is better than life. This God who is so holy, so incredible, so far above us, who is unaffected by us, Loves us. Loves me. Loves you. So much so that even though our sin has separated us from Him, even though we're unholy and only deserving of His wrath, He Himself stepped into our world and took on human flesh and died in my place because He loves you and paid. Because He is God, He could Because he became flesh, he did die and then was raised from the dead, having paid the debt of our sin. And he offers to you life beyond what you can imagine on your own. And that defines desire that's beyond what we can have in and of ourselves. It calls to us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, beyond ourselves, something eternal. That's a desire that goes far beyond anything that we can find within ourselves. And so although although our desires are so uh, intense, the depth of our desires uh, do not compare to what God is calling us to. The depth of our desires simply reveal to me that there's something more for me and when I discover God, I realize that it's more than I can ever have imagined. Tozer says, the fact of God is necessary for the fact of man. Think God away and man has no ground for existence. 
I must reckon with the depth of my longing for something beyond this life and realize that it's only found in and through God. This first section, uh, verses 1 to 4, end with David uh, praising God. He says, he says uh, because of your, your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Having seen how, uh, how the depth of our desires are met in God, we could stop right now and praise Him and, and we would be done. But David has a little bit more, so let's take another look. The depth of my desire, I need to understand that, but I must also recognize the breadth of my desires. The breadth of, And David now leads us through a section where he talks about uh, some different aspects of life that we can experience. And uh, in, in his experience, he uh, always allows them to lead him to God. We so often do not. Let's consider some of those. Uh, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Food's pretty basic to life, right? This is our physical reality, our physical realities. And uh, food is pretty basic. We, uh, we, we, uh, we eat and refuse to eat to excess, <laughs> don't we? We use food and, and the control of our physical bodies. It starts right when we're a baby. What's the first thing a child can do? Close their mouth and refuse to eat. If you go to the nursing home, that's the last thing that we can do too. <laughs> Just like, I can control this. And so we try. We, we, we give in to the desire for food and we control the desire for food and we, uh, we eat to excess and we refuse to eat to excess. And it's all about, we, we, we use drugs and alcohol to somehow enhance our physical experience. We uh, go for a runner's high. Or the next experiential high. And we, life is so physical. And we try and squeeze as much out of it as we can. And this physical experience can be so exhilarating. We try and cheat death. And then we try and deny death. And when we have to face its reality, we kind of like just say, well, you know, let's just ignore it and celebrate life and have the highlight reel of my life showing on the screen while we all just ignore the fact that it ended. We're so committed to this physical life and we try and enhance our bodies and now I can leap tall buildings in a single bound because I've been working out at the gym. And it's just so physical. We feel it so deeply. We feel uh, so much. We try and enhance that and David says it's God that satisfies. We have spiritual longings. David says, uh, I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. He's talking about this private inner world that we have where the real me is, it's just me. And you know, really, uh, our spirit only experiences anything around us uh, through, through our, our mind, through our brain. We, we interface with this physical being uh, here in our head, and, and we don't really see things and feel things, you know. It's really just the neurons stimulated by our eyes and our, 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 our nerves, and, and, and it all happens in our head, actually. Um, and if my neurons are firing, and as far as I can tell, they're firing the same as your neurons, then that's reality. That's what we call reality. And if something goes wrong up here and they start to misfire and kind of weird, I hear voices and I see things that aren't really there, according to you, but they're real to me. And what is reality? 
Now listen, God has created us physically and put us in this. There is a reality, but it's grounded in God. We have this private little place that we think that's where, where the real me is. And, and God wants to be invited into that place, and He wants to meet you there. And we create our own little reality, our own little version of the world, our own little vision of what should be. And, uh, and to, the truth is that we begin that from the womb, and we're, our little processor here is evaluating everything and creating a reality that's reality for us, and it's actually very self-centered and self-serving. And God wants us to know that there's a reality that's grounded in Him. And He has communicated to us in a way that we can understand Him and understand our world on a different basis than how I can evaluate it. And so David says, I meditate upon you. Peter wrote this, talking about how we're grounded in reality. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God has communicated to us a reality about Himself and about us. And we need to turn to Him. Tozer uh, said, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so we have this little reality that's all our own. And David says we need to invite God into that space because He's the one that satisfies our spiritual longings. Uh, Quickly, we have emotional longings. David says, In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Emotions are very real. I believe they're kind of rooted in our physical being and they reflect the desires of my heart and the thoughts of my heart and the choices of my heart and they feed back into all those. We're a very complex creature, really. Well, men are not that complex, but women really are. And and, and we have these emotions and, and they're expressions of my inner being and how I think and what I want and what I've chosen and they feed back into those and and emotions are very real. And let's face it, we all just want to be happy. That's really what we're going for. And I just want to feel good. Nothing wrong with feeling good. I like to feel good. I feel good. But you know, David says, I sing for joy in your presence. And again, uh, he looks to God to, to actually be the satisfaction for those longings. Then we have relational longings. Verse 8, he says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. We so long for relationship. Now, we've talked about the breadth, the breadth of, of our desires. The depth of our desires show us that there's got to be something more than this. The breadth of our desires simply show us that uh, satisfaction isn't found in all of those things outside of God. 
Solomon tried it all. And he said, under the sun, trying all these things will come up empty. I'm sure that Adam, in the garden before the fall, had no problem experiencing to the full all that was there. I'm sure somewhere he found a place to have a water slide. And they jumped into that and down went down that with abandon. And I'm sure he had no problem within this beautiful relationship with God and enjoying all the experiences that God had for him. John Piper talks about a Christian hedonism that within a proper relationship with God and honoring Him properly that, that we should be able to enjoy to the full the experiences of life. But That's the point, isn't it? All the experiences that life offers us are empty without God. And so the breadth of my desires point to my need for God. The variety of experiences and longings we can have as humans are broadly alike and yet individually unique. And in all of them I need God. That brings us to this. I can find satisfaction only if I actually realize the satisfaction of my desires. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, the last part of this psalm is is kind of difficult to understand. You go like, did we turn a corner here or something? Because all of a sudden it says, verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. We need to understand that uh, like most of the Psalms, they're written in a specific context and they many times look uh, to King David or the king of the time as an archetype of the one who was going to come and sit on the throne of David. A coming king that would rule the earth. A coming king that would provide salvation to the people of Israel and beyond. And of course, who is that talking about? It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it says, the mouths of liars will be stopped, that certainly reminds me of these verses. Uh, So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul in Romans makes that very personal. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There's one king, King Jesus. And if if your desires are to be satisfied uh, only in God, it's through him. It's through the salvation that he offers. He is the one that offers us life. And uh, there was a real danger at the beginning of this message when I said this message is about desire and satisfaction There's a real danger that I might over-promise and under-deliver. But I'm not the one promising. It's Jesus Christ that promises. Throughout this psalm, David continued to look to God as the satisfaction, the true satisfaction of the deepest desires of his soul. So that brings us to this question. Why am I not satisfied. Now, I don't think we're asking that. David said, I thirst. 
Like he, he didn't have it all. His soul was satisfied. But I don't think that we're confused about the fact that we're not home yet. I don't think we're confused about the fact that we still live in a fallen world and everything's not made right and, and, and God hasn't finished dealing with all the stuff. I don't think that's what we're talking about when we say, why am I not satisfied? I think the question that we're asking is, why does my heart resonate more with the songs on the radio than with David? And the answer is simply this. We're settling for way too little. I was at a funeral once and I had spoken the words of God about life and death. And this young lady came to me. It was her dad's funeral. They had a somewhat difficult relationship. And apparently she had transferred that to any guy in authority because she came after me. And so we were talking. And she pulled out the big gun. Well, we all know what men want. Okay, boom. Uh, and so uh, she used the big elephant gun to shoot me and uh, destroy all arguments by saying, we all know what men want. And isn't that true? I said, you know what? Men want exactly what women want. And that stopped her. I said, we want to be known completely and openly and honestly and accepted for who we are. Do you know that only God actually can do that? Because he's the only one that's not affected by who I am and how I inter interact with him. He said, we all want the same thing. What we really desire is God himself. And metal men settle for so much less so quickly. And eventually, so do women. So do you and so do I. Our problem is that we settle for too little. So, okay, I'm convinced, I think you're convinced, that satisfaction is really only in God. I, I believe that. So what are the three easy steps to satisfaction? Do you want to know? What are the three? Well, uh, there's probably not three. And they're probably not easy. They're probably not uh, difficult to understand. Here's a bit of a road map. One, admit your thirst. David said, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. This is not just a feeling. This is a conviction. This is a belief. I need God. Our sin is in looking to things other than Him to meet this need. So let's admit our need up front. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two e evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, we're settling for too little. We've, we're trying to satisfy, find the satisfaction for our souls that only God can provide in something else. Some of us have bruised our hands and smashed our teeth and busted open our lips trying to drink from empty buckets with holes in the bottom. Can I suggest that today would be a good day to let go of those buckets? Let's not take them over to 7 George Street. Let's leave them. Let's do business with God today. So what happens to be your personal broken 
bucket with holes in. Secondly, uh, believe God's word. Admit your thirst and then believe God's word. Uh, Isaiah writes, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. God says, you don't need money to come and buy what I offer you. He offers it to us freely. Have you received His offer of salvation and life and satisfaction in Christ? God wants to meet with you and help you and uphold you. And David said, um, um, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So admit your thirst, believe God's word, and then confess Christ as Lord. And in this, I'm not just talking about uh, you know, a, a, a accepting Him as your Savior. I'm actually talking about uh, confessing Him as your Lord and looking to Him for the satisfaction of your soul. And so Jesus Himself promised, when I said I'm not over-promising and under-delivering, it's Jesus that's promising and He will not under-deliver. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will be, become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. This was David's experience as we track through this psalm once again. Uh, this was David's roadmap. Earnestly I seek you, verse 1. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied. Verse 6, when I remember and meditate on you. Verse 8, my soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. There is a response of faith that clings to God knowing that He must act and that He will. No one can earnestly seek God for you. And so if you're not satisfied, it's because you're settling for less. A.W. Tozer said, I want the presence of God Himself or I don't want anything to do with religion. I want all that God has or I don't want any. What is it that you want? We're going to pray together and then we're going to stand and sing. So, pray this prayer. Father, as I preach your word, I convict myself. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O, o Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Lord, we're before You and You know the longings of our heart. And we confess that we have sought for so many things instead of You. Father, with the conviction of the truth of Your Word, we recognize this morning that we need you.
So even though we're not sure, we still even want it. We ask you to satisfy our souls with yourself. Forgive us for looking elsewhere. Lord, help us to cling to you this morning. Because we admit we desperately need you. Come to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.